Up next is a conversation with colorist Jim Wicks in West Palm Beach, Florida. You're going to hear from Jim and his work as a colorist who restores classic Spanish language films from Mexico. Jim, I just want to let you know I'm just really excited to hear about your experiences uh, for myself, but also just to share these with the video community and the film community, of course, at large. So welcome to the show. You're welcome. Just a little bit about Jim as background, because he comes from a rather uh, fascinating background, really. And that's that he has more than 30 years of experience in television and film. And some of the things uh, about Jim that you might not know is that he brings a wealth of experience to the table on every production he works on, because he's an award-winning director and producer. He's much, much, much more than just a colorist. Hear me out on this. There's more to come. Jim began his career as an uncredited production assistant on film and television programs in Canada, and he was a TV news broadcaster. Can you believe that? That's so cool. And a director and producer of high-end television commercials. But to get to the point here, he's on the forefront of a huge project. I mean, this is really huge. To store, uh, to color and restore classic Spanish language films from Mexico. I heard about him through uh, Patrick Inhofer, Tal of Color, and, and various uh, tweets and things I've seen. But it's amazing. I think you just tweeted that you completed over, uh, completed over 100 films and you've amassed an array of experience in bringing these new films to life that were produced over the last 50 years. And we're going to get a chance to see a couple of those here at the end of our conversation. So he's much, much more than just a Da Vinci Resolve colorist. This man is a creative renaissance man. So <laughs> here we are. So, wow. wow, yeah, you know, with a startup like that. So here we are. So Jim is a colorist for seven years, but his dad was a film cameraman with the Canadian Broadcast Corporation in Toronto. Are you actually from Toronto originally? Uh, yeah, I was born in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And... Um, and then from there, we lived in New York for several years. Um, and Dad taught at NYU, and then uh, back to Canada, then off to Africa, then back to Toronto. <laughs> and you and you you said say your dad was uh, hired by NYU uh, to be uh, to, to run the film school there. Is that right? And he taught yeah, students he, like Martin Scorsese. Um, yeah, Dad was the first adjunct film professor uh, at NYU. Uh, Hag Manoogian, who. Uh, created the um, film school back in the early 1960s, hired dad to come in and be the adjunct film professor and teach film to the students. Wow. Wow. Okay, well, so then what spurred your interest to make a change to be a colorist? Um, well, really, it, it, started with, it started with two films. Oh. Um, I, I saw Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. Um, and was just blown away. I mean, it, it was it was a good movie. It is a good movie. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I've been a fan of going to the movies since, I mean, the very first movie I ever saw was uh, Hard Day's Night when it was released in 64. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, I've been going to the movies okay. uh, since 60, 1963, 64, and I've seen them on TV. So I love movies. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. uh, it was Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And then the second one was Peter Jackson's King Kong. <laughs> in both movies, um, you know, if you're a colorist, you know the importance of both of those movies. Uh, oh Brother, Where Art Thou was the first digitally colored movie. Uh, and then uh, Peter Jackson brought the whole shebang of color correction into the post-production workflow. So right. on King Kong. So both were important movies. But really the thing that spurred uh, my interest in color correction I was producing uh, commercials, 
And my commercials were good. I was making uh, creative agencies uh, a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And the TV stations that were airing them, they were laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> but the, the, the thing for me was my commercials, to me, did not stack up against the network or the national uh, commercials. Hmm. And so I started asking around and, and I put the two side by side content, you know, everything about mine as good as a national spot. But I asked a friend of mine who was a fellow producer and he said, well, it's clear, you know, you're not coloring your, your commercials. Like, <laughs> oh, and it, it, a light bulb went off and it began a, a journey for me into searching for color correction. And I studied with um, uh, Jack Tunnicliffe up in Regina, Canada. Mm -hmm. And then after Jack, I studied with uh, Warren Eagles. And then after that, Pat, uh, Pat Inhofer. So I had a pretty good grounding of, of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go with this. But the, but the thing was, I began to be less and less interested is, uh, in directing and producing commercials and more and more interested in color correction. I could not put this down. I know the feeling. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? I totally know the feeling, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just, a, and then now when you watch movies, you're like, oh, that wasn't consistent. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, well, yeah. nowadays when I, when I watch, we just finished watching, uh, my son got me um, uh, Skyfall. Yeah. Blu-ray. Oh, beautiful. And, I just finished watching it and I loved it, but as good as the movie was, I was, I would, I'm looking at the movie as a colorist and, and it's the same thing. We just finished watching Lincoln and, you know, I'm looking at the way it was colored. I go on and on and on. And so it's one of these things that even when I go to the movies now, I, you know, the back of my mind, I'm going, did that oh power window oh mm -hmm. look at that yeah. color in the color in the shadows ah so well all right so now you've made your way down to florida and you got yourself involved in restoring classic films and you're a full-time colorist there in the studio doing this project pretty much right right i i'm the senior colorist at a company called olympiasat mm -hmm. and um two years ago two years ago i was uh uh, still producing commercials and and uh, doing that. And a friend of mine, an editor uh, that I had worked on a uh, film with uh, many, many years ago, uh, he emails me uh, this one ad yeah. <laughs> for a colorist. Now, you have to understand that about two days before this email arrived, I turned to my wife and I said, you know, Honestly, to be a colorist, I either have to move to L.A. or New York. And uh, I, I just don't see any other yeah, way because no, I don't know anybody here locally that's, right. that's doing this. And I've lived in West Palm Beach for almost 20 years. And I got a call um, from uh, Sean Copenhaver, who is uh, the creative director at Olympiaset. Yeah. And he says, hey, you interested in coming in for an interview? So I came in for an interview. And he laid out this vision. Well, the vision was Tom Moeller's vision. Tom Moeller is the, is the CEO and president of Olympiasat. Mm. And Olympiasat's the, uh, the, the largest media company of its, of its kind in, uh, in North America. And we're on the, right now, because of the work we're doing in restoration, we're, we're the leaders in film restoration. But at the time, two years ago, 
um, Tom and Sean explained to me this vision. And the vision was to restore these classic Spanish language films that had aired in Mexican uh, theaters. Yeah. And I didn't know, you know, that much about Mexican yeah. cinema. But when I when I started doing my homework and my research, which is, you know, something that, you know, I, I was pretty good at, I, I looked into it and the golden era of Mexican cinema was on a par or equal to the golden age of Hollywood films. Wow. So while we were having the golden era of Hollywood, they were having the golden era of Mexican cinema. And what I came to find out as I do these films, that the, the films, I don't know if there was a conduit. I don't know who was influenced more, Hollywood by Mexico or Mexico by Hollywood. <laughs> but there is definite, there's a definite universal language in film that you can see from 1940s, 1950s, and 60s. You can see that Hollywood was copying the things that Mexican, cinema, Mexican filmmakers were doing. And you can also see that Mexican filmmakers were copying things that they were doing in Hollywood. And there was a, there's a, I, I don't know, there, there's something going on mm -hmm. that in these films, they're really, really very, very good. Well, <laughs> I remain fascinated. That's, that's why, partly why I'm doing this interview. And, uh, and then these uh, film clips we have at the end are just like, well, I, uh, I mean, it's, well, what a great job. Well, okay, so give us, <laughs> give us an overview of. It's a great job. It is, it is. Uh, describe, uh, I, I just like, I mean, my work, I've been doing a lot of documentaries, and it seems like the last two or three that I've had have been uh, films that were uh, uh, video, Super 8, and 8 millimeter, and black and white film that was shot, you know, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Right. Not the same thing, obviously, but it is in a sense that it's a lot of sort of cleanup and working, cleaning, and figuring out how to make it all work and all that. And I just love it. I don't know why, but but let's talk about your uh, pipeline or the workflow. How does a film get found and then brought in and then get to you? Well, uh, Olympusat, um right now I manage six film catalogs. Okay. And we started with one, and now we're up to six, and more are coming on as people. As, as companies and owners of catalogs see the results of what we're doing. They want them, li they, they license them to you guys, you scan them in and- yeah. Exactly, uh, you know, I, I let the business- Yeah, the, sure, the, yeah. The, yeah, the business people, they take care of that stuff. All sure. I know is that I get these great films. Right. So the, here's here's how it works. The pipeline is that we have an office in, in Mexico City mm -hmm. and we have it staffed by about 40 people. Mm -hmm. And we have, uh, the, the films are brought in and they're immediately cleaned. Now, look, I'm speaking to you, Tom, but I know there's other colorists listening in and watching and I hope you get something from this. Oh yeah, 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 I wanna hear it all. A film is, in the old days, a film uh, was typically anywhere from six to maybe 10 reels long. Okay. And so one film can be six to 10 reels. And each one of those reels is 50 to 60, maybe 70 years old. Wow. And as a result, uh, they've been kept in various stages. I mean, uh, you know, summer, they, they come in, they yeah. come in in various conditions. Right. Yeah, uh, I can imagine. You know, from good to not so good. That's good. <laughs> it's they're they're old, think of it this way: they're old patients, <laughs> and you know they they've seen better days. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So when they come in, uh, the staff in the staff in Mexico, uh, what they do is they they clean. 
the films by hand, right. the reels by hand, and then they're optically scanned to 2K. Now we are moving to 4K very soon, wow. um, but currently they're scanned to 2K DPX. Once they're scanned 2K, um, we we broadcast in 1080. The uh, the films are on Olympiasat channels, and as a result, uh, we're doing it in 1080. But we want as much information as possible, so they're scanned 2K. Sure. Sure. Then what happens is that they're uh, sent over in the office uh, in Mexico. We have restoration artists who go through and they will yeah. clean the film right. frame by frame. Listen, they do a, a, all the all the restoration Oof. artists, both in Mexico City and in West Palm Beach, they both do great jobs. But I wouldn't want their job <laughs> in China. Frame by frame. Do they use the Da Vinci? They use yeah. the Da Vinci tools for that or some of the other tools? They're, yeah, they're using uh, Da Vinci Revival. And, um, and so we have numerous uh, workstations in Mexico City yeah. and in West Palm Beach where, I mean, th this is this is a, a very involved process. So one stream of films will come off and immediately be cleaned by the restoration artists there in Mexico. Another set of films will be will be sent up to West Palm Beach on hard drives. And our restoration artists up here will will clean them mm -hmm. and and improve them. Both of those streams come to me, mm -hmm. and so that's where I get involved in the color. And um, what I see is not what the viewer sees. What I see is uh, what used to be a very beautiful film that is in dire need of some color love. Um, the, you know the RGB channels and the Luma have just, it's like a bad marriage. They've taken off, they've gone to their separate rooms, and they're not talking to each other. <laughs> now, as a colorist, now, like you, I work on, uh, as a freelancer, I, I mean, I work uh, 50, no, about 60, 50 to 60 hours at Olympiasat a week. Sure, yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> I freelance, if you can believe this. Yeah, well. <laughs> I must really love this. Yeah. I freelance, uh, on newer films, commercials, sure. uh, indies, and so on and so forth. The difference is that, as you know, as a colorist, we we go and it, it's not that we put color in, but we do more to enhance right. Right. what's already there. Right. My job as the senior colorist on the old films is to coax the color out. Yeah. The color is there. It's just gone every which way but loose. It's to corral it, tame it, and bring it back. Now, here's the difference. On the old films, I go up to a line. The line is where the film existed color-wise, in its palette. Every film has its own color world. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, you know, Star Wars has its color. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Star Trek has its color. Uh, James Bond has its color palette. Well, these films had their own. They were color-timed. And they were, you know, they, they they have their own color world. My job is to bring it up to the line. Now I could go in and change somebody's headscarf a certain color, um, you know, the, the wall, the background a certain color. Sure. That's not my job. My job is to bring it back to life, to resuscitate it, really. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, there's a real education on on doing this because if you, and I've said this, and I know it's going to sound like an oxymoron. But if you listen to the film, 
the film will tell you where it wants to go. Well, this, this is what I wanted to ask you. So we're, we're actually going to so, get a chance to see this before and after. And I think that the picture's worth a thousand words, as they say. So so you, uh, you get this disk drive from the uh, people who have been doing the touch-up and the cleaning and all that amazing work they right. do. Uh, what I'm curious as a colorist, and, uh, and I'm actually not familiar with film work. I'm one of those colorists that came along kind of after all the film stuff, but that's okay. Is The, the process is the same. So you get this drive. Uh, do you like just you start on a, on, a Monday on a Monday morning with a fresh cup of coffee and just watch the whole thing? Or what's your, what's your internal process? Um, yes. <laughs> First thing I do is get a cup of coffee. Just kick back and... Uh, I'm usually in the office somewhere between 7.30 and 8. Yeah. Um, and what I do is... Um, uh, first thing I do is load the film in. I have two. I have about two to 300 terabytes on a SAN network. Good. Yeah. I have uh, two petabytes on backup. <laughs> um, I've got... I've got an array, almost 300 uh, hard drives that have come in from either West Palm Beach or from Mexico right, right. that have films on them. All those films that are on external hard drives have to be offloaded. So we're talking about, about right currently is 2K, about a terabyte and a half of, uh, of uh, media that has to come off. Um, I make sure that the audio that has come off the film gets um, sent over to audio so it can uh, so the audio uh, specialist can start working on it to clean it up so so let me interrupt here so actually sure. when the drive comes in you're you're at that point it's your baby I mean you you've yeah. got to bring it in the system strip the audio off I mean you and, and you sort of get all that done before you even sit down and start watching the film even before I sit down and start watching the film, yeah. um, I have a list in front of me of Get all the titles that I'm expecting. Mm -hmm. So I just go down the I just I go down the list as they come in. I mark them up as the films come in, and they do come in in bulk. I mean, we usually get about um, oh, uh, I don't know somewhere between ten to fifteen a month. Mm -hmm. um, I'll QC them. I'll put them. I'll load them up. Uh, without taking them off, without offloading them from the hard drive, I'll just load them up from the hard drive just to QC them to see what I'll be dealing with. Sure. See if there's any scanner issues that I, you know, it, that's the time to catch the any issue that needs to be readdressed before I get it. Right. That's the time. So I'll QC them. Once I offload the uh, the the media onto my internal drive, I have um, I have uh, I don't know how many terabytes. I've lost count at this point. But I have a drive dedicated to just color, uh -huh. um, and the film the films put there. Um, then what I do is <clears throat> I go through and I prepare project files. Each film, as I said, is about. Um, uh, I had a film today that was ten reels long, so when I begin a project, I open up the project. Uh, the restoration artist will have created an EDL for me. Uh -huh. So I have my scene cuts already, uh -huh. uh, which makes uh, speeds up the process incredibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when I when I load it up, I have all 10, uh, 10 projects, if you will, uh, which are the ten reels. I'll go through and I'll start to look. I'll resize. I'll, I'll, I may play around with colors. I look for hero shots. I look for hero shots in a film where 
Um, just something that stands out for me. Right. Just something that, you know, I, I want to see skin texture. I want to see sky. I want to see background. And, uh, a lot of the period pieces, like well, period, uh, a lot of the films from the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s, well, the 40s and 50s were mainly shot interior in studios. The, from the 60s onward, uh, a lot of the films were done exterior, outdoors. So I want to start to see what plays, what kind of colors I'm going to get. Um, and then I do some research on IMDb. Oh, you do? I, oh, yeah. yeah. I want to see. I want to see who was in the film. Uh, I want to see, uh, you know, what kind of history, where they went. Uh, you know, I, I like to. I know. I like to know as much about the film, particular the uh, directors. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm dying to ask the question: Have you ever had a chance to actually speak to any one of the? The guys that were involved in the film, director or producer, or they're just um, too old, I guess. You know, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the cast and crew are no longer with us. Yeah, in, kind in of the cases. Yeah. However, um, I have I have talked with uh, people that have been associated with it. Uh, I talked with uh, a man who uh, is part owner of the, of one of the catalogs, uh -huh. and you know I I had him in my color suite, and he was watching. I turned around. This this is about about a year ago. I I, I was showing him some of the things that I was doing. And I turned around, and he literally had tears in his eyes, and he Aww. he was crying. Yeah. I said I, I thought, oh God, I screwed. It. It was, <laughs> you know, I'm out of a job. Yeah, yeah. And it turns out he said he said you you are bringing these films back to life for me. Yeah. If you have any idea what this means to me uh -huh. and he, the, the joy. And I thought, all right, cool. All right, cool. <laughs> I've done my job. Um, but I, I have talked with, I have talked with people associated with the productions. Um, and one fella told me that he said, I, I said, you have a beautiful film, but right in the middle, there's about three or four scenes where for the life of me, I can't figure out why the grades I'm using in the scene before and four scenes later don't work here. Yeah, well, why? I, 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 I'm confused. I mean, it's almost like I'm dealing with a completely different film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, you are. He said, in many cases, we ran out of film <laughs> in the middle of the shoot. Different stock? So, so what they did was not only different stock, if they were if they were using Kodak, <laughs> they went over and got Fuji. Yeah, they right. got whatever was available. <laughs> and I, I I was like, oh my gosh. Oh. I mean, thank you. It allows me that little piece of information changes everything and just how you're going to approach the you know the restoration process. <laughs> I'm having memories of uh, uh, the Beach Boys uh, hit. Good vibrations. It was actually put together in four different studios. And if you listen really carefully, if you're an audio guy, you're like, "Yeah, I can tell. I can tell right there." Yeah. yeah. Well, it's 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 a little bit like that. And you know, the, the thing is, you know, one, you and I were at the uh, the, the colorist meetup in Las Vegas. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, we, we've talked. And one of the things that colorists love to do is have good music on. I mean, Absolutely. I don't I don't have the audio from these films. <laughs> yeah. I just have the video. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I, I use Pandora, I use iTunes, I, I use, you know, whatever. Same I here. Follow. Yeah. And, and, you know, you and I are, are both musicians, a musician, and Same you're here. still a current musician. <laughs> but but the, the thing is that um, 
one of the things that I love doing is putting good tunes on. And I don't know how this happens, but I would say seven times out of 10 that whatever music I choose to put on somehow fits the, the tonality of the reel yeah. I'm working on. And it's like, wow, how did that happen? I've noticed that. It's like, oh, Have don't tell me when. Yeah, it was just like, if I could just, if I could just put a little sync track on here, this would be yeah, great, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, um, so um, before we get to the movies part, I wanted to ask you as a colorist to resolve colorist. So this is the can't the answer is probably no, but just out of curiosity, do you save or reuse any of the the looks or the you know the power power things? I mean, I mean, does that does that really make sense to do that because they're so different? Or I mean, hey, how do if, you manage that? If the boss is listening, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Listen. That's his each question, one these, huh? Each one of these movies oh, I see. is yeah, as different. The scene before is as different as the scene after. Yeah. There's no plug-in. And I know that Da Vinci currently under nine doesn't use uh, plugins. Ten will. But the thing is that even if Da Vinci had plugins and presets, it doesn't work. Um you know, in some of the in, in some of the films I've seen, there's either a green wash. Some have had a, a deep red wash. Um, I wish there was a button you pushed and, you know, oh, hey, it's color balanced. All right. I'm, yeah. I'm on to step two. It totally makes sense. I mean, it. I mean, you know, there's a, the camera guy could have put a different lens. Different lens have different color, you know, uh, right. signatures to them. I was working on one the other day. Somebody brought in a 5D thing. It was for Whole Foods, I think, actually. But it was just it, could, it couldn't have been a simpler head shop talking head talk lasted two minutes and i'm thinking what's up with this one of these is just different for me oh yeah i, I changed the aperture on the 5d for you know okay i know oh tom listen i just i i can't say the name <laughs> but i did i did i did a national uh i did a national spot um it was a three camera shoot um uh, uh two 70s and a 5d and the DP didn't color balance. He didn't white balance. Ooh, it was a beautiful. News. It was a beautiful spot. In the end, <laughs> <laughs> but what I find is that a lot of the experience from working on the um, color restoration of the old films right, right. comes into play because when you when you when I work on a on an indie movie, a lot of the technique comes to play in a way that's different. If you're a colorist, I'm gonna tell you flat out, you cannot approach color restoration on, on film restoration work the same way that you do uh, a brand new film. Mm -hmm. when, you're, when you're starting from the ground up, you know, many times, you know, Leo Dunn, who did um, the restoration on Jaws, did not approach it the same way that he would have approached coloring Jaws from out of the can, just shot 12 hours ago. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's, it's a different approach as a colorist. Right. And I, I'll tell you that I've created uh, a new way, I believe, a new way of, of restoring these. Uh, I've had to think outside the box uh -huh. in order to achieve the the dual purpose of eliminating these these color washes that are across the screen um. without disturbing the color behind that mm -hmm. you know if there's a green wash 
in front of a forest, how do you remove the green wash without it without affecting the green in the forest behind right, or keep the skin tone for the people keep that are there yeah mm -hmm. oh my gosh yeah um i just got to come watch over your shoulder sometime this got to be a fascinating fascinating oh, absolutely thing. absolutely um in fact you know what if, if you want to come down i'll let you do it and go for a <laughs> cup Nah, I'd be so slow compared to you, but we'll do one together. So um, I was thinking we might go on to these two examples. Uh, sure. Is there anything else you wanted to cover before we did that? No, I, I just want to say it. that, um, you know, when when uh, Tom hired me, uh, the color department didn't exist. Yeah. And uh, not only that, but uh, they, they looked to me for for advice. What what system should we should we look at? Uh -huh. And they had looked at a number of systems, and one of them being DaVinci. And I highly recommended DaVinci. I was very impressed with um, what Leo Dunn did with uh, Jaws. I was also very impressed with what Jim Cameron did on Avatar and a number of other projects that DaVinci's been involved with. Mm -hmm. So um, <clears throat> one of the things that uh, Tom did was, you know, what do we need to do this right? Right. That, that was the whole point of this, was not to do it like, well, we're just going to do, you know, throw a few dollars at it and maybe get a little, you know, a little control panel or maybe a mouse. We need to do this right. So uh, I'm very grateful for the opportunity because what they've done is Olympiasat's become the leader in film restoration work. Mm -hmm. Not just, look, I'm, I'm just the, the, the senior colorist, but there are a boatload of restoration artists that on the samples you're going to show, it's their work too. Oh, yeah, for and, sure. And so, you know, this whole team effort that goes into making this work is monstrously huge. I couldn't be prouder to be associated with it. Well, I'm... I'm um, excited to get on. I know I took this ICA course with Kevin Shaw, and, and he worked with uh, a bunch of colorists, I think, from yeah. um, BBC or whatever. I'm not sure where it was, but he explained the whole process. And then I had light bulbs going off. Oh, this is what Jim does. It's a whole team of people. <laughs> well, it's good to know that you have a boss that's, uh, or, you know, the guy that runs it anyway, that's got a vision. I'll, I'll tell you, Tom is very, very supportive of, of what we're doing. And, um, you know, Olympusat, you know, may not be a household name to viewers, but the work that the, these films, uh, you mentioned at the top of the program that I've color restored over a hundred of these things. Right. Um, and each one's been a labor of love. Oh, yeah. And the thing is that they're being seen nationally right now. Uh, across the United States and into South America. And they're soon to be available on Blu-ray. So I, I'm just thrilled that people, here's the thing, people are seeing them. You know, we're talking about something that, you know, a little girl, a little boy had a muscle memory of going to the theater with their mom, dad, oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. seeing this movie that they haven't seen before. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. But now, instead of seeing, you know, a little four by three version of it, in, that is playing on that theater in their mind. They're seeing this in HD, so crystal clear. I had a question for you about that. Well, we're going to roll into this black and one, but black and white one. But you, mm -hmm. 
Um, is there some thinking process that goes through, or, or do you do this, or do the guys that bring it to you beforehand make a decision around the four by three to sixteen by nine aspect ratio? You have to blow it up. You you know you lose a little bit on one you know on the sides. No, what, that's 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 me. You decide that. Okay. Well, it seemed like it would be you, but uh, I mean that's you, there's some assembly required there. I would imagine, right? I well, mean, uh, some judgment there is, there is because one of the things one of the things that i do is i'll go through and analyze each scene mm -hmm. each scene is going to be, again going to be different than the one before the one after but it has to play if you have a master shot and, and two reversals and your sequence is played out over in the old days you know they they did a lot of talking in movies right and today we do a lot of action <laughs> yeah. but but the, they, they would do they would do uh, a master and two reversals and maybe you know Louis Brunel uh, I've done about a half a dozen of his films fantastic director um, uh, he was thinking outside the box back in the late 40s early 50s so um, the thing is I do a pan and scan these things are four by three and they were shot with an incredible amount of headroom so I can lose some of the headroom to a degree, but what I try to do is I try to try to look at the shot and envision it as if, as if it as were if going it, to be shot today. Yeah, right. And and key in really on the central characters, the actors, the actresses. If there's if somebody moves into a scene, you know, I'll maybe use a, a tracker to to maybe keyframe it so that the camera movement will stay with the actor okay. so that we don't lose we don't lose the top of their head so right. to speak. always consider it of the performance and the director okay okay that makes sense all right well so do you have uh, your first one up here the uh, it's called reportage yeah it's uh, 1951 reportage reportage it would be, it would be um, the spanish version and i do apologize my Spanish Sorry. is getting better, but I speak I speak RGB terrifically. <laughs> <laughs> but my Spanish is getting better. Well, why don't you play that and then uh, start okay. speaking to it? Um, and of course, I'll be cutting this in later so that people can see it in full full quality. All right. So um, I've got both of them up. You just go ahead and um, I'm going to push go on mine. You can push go on yours. There's no sound. The guy comes out of the car. Well, what you're seeing is the uh, the shot on the left is what I see. That's the four three version. So you can see it's milky. the The blacks mm -hmm. are lifted, the whites are crushed, and it looks it looks almost eighteen percent gray. <laughs> but um, it's a very milky look. the The trick here is to do a. I, the first thing I do is a primary balance. Right. Um, and and that alone does not necessarily get rid of it. So what I've tended to do is I is I will tend to split the Luma signal off and I'll add sharpening to it. Ah. And that helps to some degree. And then I use curves a lot, the RGB mixer. And I do, uh, I'm sorry, folks, uh, I know a lot of colors don't have this, but I have the, uh, the big control panel from uh, Blackmagic. On the panel is something called POTS. Yeah. And I found out to a guy in the 60s, Blackmagic should have called it something else other than POTS. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a, um, it, it refers to potentiometers. Okay. And I'll use potentiometers on the board and the RGB mixers to, and the curves, and I'll do a combination. Okay. 
and I get rid of the gray and I and I pay attention. I don't put the blacks in in the scene. If you if you see this scene, it, looking at this scene, I I could crush the blacks. Yeah, you, it wouldn't take much. It wouldn't take much. But the thing is, when when this film leaves, when every film leaves my room, it's broadcast legal. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you know, I'm I'm using curves a lot to achieve the the darkness and the shadows. Right. Right. Is your final output in uh, RGB or is it a, a or, or you sent it off as ProRes? I mean, we should have got uh, on that. My but. final output is ProRes 422HQ. Okay. And and after that, uh, it's sent to, as I said, to an audio specialist who sits uh, just across the hall from me. Yeah. And he, he, I work with my eyes. He works with his ears. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, I mean, yeah. you know. These are good. Look, our eyes are gold. If you're a colorist, oh yeah, yeah. His ears are gold. <laughs> being a specialist in audio, but once he finishes cleaning up, it goes to an editor. The editor will uh, put it back together and sync the audio and the video up, right? And then um, uh, segment it for commercials, and it's uploaded to uh, our movie channel, Ultra Classico. And it, as I said, it, that's the one that's seen nationally in the United States. All right, all right. So, shall we move on to um, color one, which is uh, La Escandida? All right. Now, before you roll this, let me explain something about La Escandida. La Escandida. La Escandida. In English, it means the hidden one. Okay. This was this was a grand scope of a film. It <laughs> it had a sweep and a majesty I to can it. See. Uh, I, I'm not kidding. It, it looks like it was going with the like wind. A, a cast of thousands. Yeah. Um, it starred two of Mexico's biggest stars at the time. This is 1956. Mm-hmm. Uh, won a boatload of awards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want you to see what I saw when I first opened it up. So you want to roll it? Okay. All right. So here we go. And they're on the dance floor there. Take a look on the left, and that sea green is what I saw. Uh-huh. This beautiful movie had been reduced through the ages to this. And to go from that to the shot on the right, I got to tell you, this film was the hardest film that I've had to work on to date. Uh, normally, I can turn a film around in anywhere from three to five days. Well, specifically, what what did you struggle with? Is sort of getting the right contrast for it, or, or I mean, this, well, this was the this was the film in which nothing that I did in the scene before worked in the next scene. Okay, yeah. So yeah. there was a there was a color shift. The opticals, and when I talk about the opticals, I'm talking, I'm talking about trans, I'm talking about the transitions, the fades. Or the the opening scene titles, the the, the film's titles, all the opticals, the, the opticals are the first to go on a film before anything else. And in this case, it, they they were a nightmare. I ended up I ended up doing on the on the uh, title work. I ended up doing a, a luma key. I pulled um, I did a, a layer mixer node, and then I picked I used the vector. And I pulled a key on the titles. I keyed the titles out and I colored the background and I left the titles alone. And then I, I did an append note at the end 
And that worked great. And I thought, okay, I I think I'm in a vibe and I think I I see where this is going. Sure enough, (laughs) next scene, (laughs) no way. Everything I did on the first one, I had each one, each scene, I had to rethink, okay, what am I, where am I going with this? Um, And then to color match uh, within the scene, um, it was, it was nothing short of challenging. I mean, this was, that film was the Olympics. All right. So you sort of like each film, each scene in the film was almost another film in itself. It's what it's sounding like because of the differences. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, And if you're, if you're a colorist, the, the thing that you're looking for is you're looking to shot match and you're looking to shot to, to bounce your shots. You're, you're looking to create a look. You and I both know, Tom, that if, if a director comes in and says, you know, hey, this is my film and this is the, this is the look I want. And you, you listen to them and you want to help them get there. But if they, you know, if they want a technicolor look, but they've shot everything with earth tones. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, okay. Um, it's just not going to go there. You yeah. know, you, what you want to be able to say is, right. yeah, but your film wants to go that way and you want to go that way. Mm-hmm. Well, with this film, restoring restoring Les Candida or any of the films, the, the key is to listen to where the film wants to go. Now, I could have gone in and, and slanted it a certain way. There's a bathtub scene where the star Maria Felix is in the bathtub. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Well, the it drove me crazy. Two things in that shot drove me. It's a tracking me crazy. shot. Uh-huh. One was the bubbles. The bubbles closest to her to her body are what I what are, are closest to white. Yeah, right. The, the bubbles closest to the faucet are more of a purpley pink hue. <laughs> And it drove me crazy, and I thought, okay, either I'm losing my touch. It's the glass window behind there. Well, what it was, it turns out, I mean, I I went and I did my homework, and I looked, and I analyzed the scene. The lighting director, it turns out, had put a spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just above. A joker or something right into the. Exactly. Yeah. And just to to add something dynamically. That's good. well, it was it was very good, but it, it caused. I mean, there's nobody kind of you know? film yeah. that I could ask. Yeah. So do well, you take it out, or do you enhance it, or exactly? I mean, look, I could take it out. You could take it out. All the white, right. but, uh, should I? So your intuition said there's a reason for that, and you checked it out. That was. Good. And I checked it out. Here's the other thing: her hair in the bathtub. Yeah. Her hair. Well, throughout the rest of the the movie, her hair is uh, black, but in the bathtub scene. Brown. The front part is black, but the back part and the bulk of it is is brown. Right. And for the longest one, I mean, uh, for a day or two, I just went back and forth, and I thought, I thought, oh gee, I'm going to have to put a power mask on, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to do secondaries here, and no, no, no. Until at dinner one night, uh, my wife said, "How was your day at work?" And I said, "Well, it was challenging." And then it, this came out, and I told her, I said, yeah, you know, my God, it's two-tone hair. I don't get it. She goes, oh, she probably had extensions. And I was, <laughs> I went, well, of oh, course. Of course. Why, why didn't I think why of that? Why didn't I think of that? You know, I just it's haven't done enough. it in a while. Yeah. Sure enough. Well, there you are. Well, listen, let's end on, yeah, end on that note, Jim. This has just been as fascinating as I had hoped it would be. 
I am very thankful for you sharing your valuable time and experience with us today. It's great. And I've just got to find a way to make, make my way out to West Palm Beach. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Tom. All right.